Welcome back to episode 10 about growing the good Christian girl. And today we are talking with Kat Harris, author of Sexless in the City, who you might know from her Instagram at The Refined Woman. And she is going to talk with us about purity culture, breaking free from that, what the Bible really says about saving sex for marriage, and how to do that in a way that's healthy instead of unhealthy. So before we get started, I want to say this episode is sponsored by Faithful Counseling. So when I was going through the hardest part of my deconstruction, it came with a lot of anxiety and struggles with feeling alone and sometimes depression and just like feeling like my whole worldview is kind of being shaken a little bit. And so seeing a counselor was incredibly helpful in my own journey. And what I wanted in a counselor personally was someone with a Christian background who was a Christian, but was also a fully licensed therapist were really good at their job. And I wanted to keep our sessions strictly clinical. So that's one of the things I love about Faithful Counseling, our sponsors, is that they assess your needs, they set you up with a therapist who is a Christian, but is also like fully licensed, credentialed, has experience as a therapist. And you get to choose how involved you want your faith in your sessions, from super involved to keep it strictly clinical, to only bring it up if I bring it up, that kind of thing. You get to choose. Faithful Counseling also, it's all online. You get to meet with your counselor through video chat, message them securely between sessions, so you can do this from anywhere in the world. It also tends to be less expensive than a lot of traditional counselors are, and they offer financial aid that you can apply for too. So they're offering 10% off to listeners about Growing the Good Christian Girl, 10% off your first month. Check out Faithful Counseling, our sponsors for this podcast, link down below for 10% off your first month with them. So Kat Harris is the host of the Refined Collective podcast and co-founder of the online publication, The Refined Woman. Her first book, Sexless in the Cities, hit stores in April 2021. She coaches and equips women all over the world in dating, relationships, singleness, sexuality, faith, and how to build a renewed and healthy biblical sexual ethic rooted in freedom, truth, and grace. So I'm super excited about this episode. We're going to talk about masturbation, sexuality, dating, all the above. Let's get to it. Kat, hi. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you and oh. connect with your connect with your amazing community. Me too. I am so pumped. So I really enjoyed reading your book, Sexless in this City. And I am just so excited to talk more about sexuality and in particular masturbation with you. I know this is like such a hot topic, but we are going there. Actually, about 65% of my viewers are single. And mm -hmm. I also, this is something near to my heart because I really wanted to get married by 20 and I didn't until 29. And so <laughs> through those, through my twenties, I was like, I don't even know why that was like the romanticized age in my head, but I was always like, mm -hmm. just very aware of being sexless in the city as it were. So this resonates <laughs> with me and with my audience. So my first question for you is this, as somebody who grew up in church during the height of purity culture, what was your understanding of sexuality back then? Yeah. So context for me, I'm 36 years old. So I graduated high school in 2003. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> which I always, I feel like young, but uh -huh. now I'm, I'm realizing, oh, I'm definitely, you know, getting into the <laughs> mid to late thirties section. I turned 35 I this year and I was like, oh my goodness, this is just so bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> mid thirties. It's crazy. Uh, -huh. uh, the weather's great out here though. I, I <laughs> yes. love being in my thirties so much. That's awesome. I also, I grew up in the South. I grew up in Texas. So sort of, I like to call it the belt buckle of the Bible belt. South. Yeah. And definitely. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but grew up in 
I grew up in Texas, you know, Christianity is kind of the air you breathe. So I was very mm. familiar with the language. So when I became a Christian at 16, I was like a late bloomer, mm. <laughs> you know, I was like, uh-huh. oh my gosh, I became a Christian late in life. <laughs> and honestly, only recently have I realized, oh, I became a person of faith really young in life, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, because I felt really late to the game. So when I became a Christian, I was 16 years old, like, like I shared, and it was, like you said, the height of the purity movement mm-hmm. and the purity culture or AKA the massive evangelical marketing campaign to get <laughs> high school kids to not have sex <laughs> via shame yeah, <laughs> and object yeah. demonstrations mm-hmm. and legalism. And we are so, duct tape and oh, yes. <laughs> yep. Yep. So what I learned about my body as a woman is that my body is bad Mm. because I exist and breathe as a woman. I am a temptation to men. Mm. So not only is my body bad, but my body just for existing is hypersexualized, not only from the culture because, you know, sex sells in culture, Mm -hmm. but I think the church always has positioned itself as countercultural, but my experience growing up in evangelical culture was I was just as hypersexualized mm. in the church. I was just told men are so weak sexually. Men are just these animals and primal. Yeah. They think about sex every two or three seconds. And <laughs> yes, I totally women heard that. Evidently have zero sex drive and never get turned on. <laughs> right. By the way. And so I, <laughs> I definitely was, thought the same. Yeah. So I was taught as a woman that I am the source of an entire gender sexual sin struggle, mm. but that I'm also the antidote. Mm. So when I get married, it's my job to have as much sex as possible with my husband so mm. that he doesn't cheat on me, so that mm-hmm. he doesn't want so he doesn't watch porn. And so I feel like as a woman, I bo- bared the weight yeah. of not only my sexual purity, quote unquote, mm-hmm. but Every single guy that ever exists, whether he's mm-hmm. my age or man, you, you're telling me in youth group that even my friend's dad could be turned <laughs> on by my body. I mean, it yeah. was a very scary, scary message. And yeah. I think I, I, as well as many millions of women have internalized such crippling and oppressive messages about who we are as women, who who we are as sexual beings. I was mm-hmm. taught, man, if men, men are struggle with things like masturbation or lust. And mm-hmm. whenever things like that were talked about, it was only in reference to the guys in the room. It'd be like, yeah. okay, guys, listen up, you know, guys struggle with lust. And mm-hmm. I was like, I must be extra sinful and extra bad because when <laughs> homeboy takes his shirt off at the <laughs> pool, I want to lick his stomach. Yeah. So <laughs> I was just in quiet shame because I thought, Mm. wow, like, I guess I'm, I guess I'm not supposed to be sexual. I guess I'm supposed to shut that down because it's gross, bad, dirty, wrong as a single person. But the fact that I do have a desire and I do feel arousal and turned on, Mm -hmm. it just felt so shameful. So I also know that purity culture was extremely damaging for men as well. My experience, though, is as a woman or as a young girl mm-hmm. and or as a 16 year old. And so if there's one word to describe my experience of my sexuality and my sexual desire growing up 
in in church culture, it would be shame. Mm. Yeah. I think a lot of my viewers will relate with that. So I, I want to talk first in this episode, in every episode, we're talking about the fruit of our old belief system. Cause Jesus said, you know, you mm. look at a tree, you see the fruit it bears. And so as you're talking about this fruit of shame, how did that affect your understanding of your, your body and your sexuality and, and what yeah. other fruit did you see of this mindset of yeah. purity culture? Yeah. So the, oh my goodness, <laughs> so many things. <laughs> Wait, can you repeat the question? I just want to make sure that I'm like... Because I, I ramble I, like, in my questions. So yes, absolutely. If <laughs> I, I could do, even I repeat it. Thing. I'm like, wait, I just asked five questions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is one question, <laughs> but five. Yeah. Um, so I we want to talk about the fruit of our old view system. Okay. So I know you mentioned okay. shame. So I'm wondering what other fruit yeah. you saw and how that affected you as you internalized it. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, I think the the fruit of the shame around my body, that manifested in a lot of different ways. One of the ways it manifested was through an eating disorder mm -hmm. in college. Mm -hmm. I I think because I was already taught, you know, my body is a piece of crap. It's sinful. Mm -hmm. My heart is deceitful above all things. Like I'm just this dirty rag mm -hmm. of a human being, mm -hmm. you know, and just just terrible, awful, smelly, smelly, <laughs> filthy. And then my sexual desire is gross, smelly, filthy. Mm. When, when I started struggling with like, I didn't gain the freshman 15 in college. I gained the freshman 30. <laughs> <laughs> I was an athlete and gained a ton of muscle mm. and also just was eating dorm food. And so oh, yes. I think coupled with this, like, I'm not going to blame purity culture or evangelicalism on my eating disorder, but it definitely was able to walk really hand in hand closely mm. for a long time in secret mm. because it felt almost right. Well, of course mm. I hate my body. Of course I'm embarrassed of my body. Mm. Of course no one wants to see my body. Look at this disgusting thing. Mm. And so I think the messages of shame around my physical body perpetuated and lengthened the struggle that I had with control via food. Mm. Um, I think I was, I received the message that pretty much like all sexuality and desire is bad until you're married. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and then it's like, once you're married, yeah. <laughs> it's this elusive day when that may or may never happen, when you walk down the aisle, you automatically are going to turn from being this like asexual blob uh -huh. to a lady in the street, but a freak in the bed. Yes. And yeah. It's like flipping and so, a switch. Just so easy. You know? Switch. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's how God makes us very compartmentalized <laughs> and disassociated mm. from our lives and bodies and experiences. So I think because of that, I was... I and I love Jesus. Mm -hmm. I still love Jesus, mm -hmm. but I I think in that I was so afraid of my sexual desire. Yeah. I I was also afraid of men. Mm -hmm. Like, oh my gosh, any situation that I get into, mm -hmm. I need to be the gatekeeper for physical boundaries because they just can't help themselves. So, like I couldn't ever relax really mm -hmm. in any sort of romantic situation mm -hmm. because I felt as though, oh my gosh, it we can kiss for this long, but if this happens, then I need to like, I need to be on guard right. because he can't be held responsible because he's so weak. And so I, I didn't date for, I think seven or eight years. Mm. I had a boyfriend my sophomore year of college and then didn't date another person, I think for eight years. Mm. And 
I I think I hid behind insecurity. Yeah. But really, I think a huge thing that was going on for me is I was just completely shut down from my sexual desire mm. and really scared of it and thought it was sinful and bad. And so I couldn't really connect with guys yeah. and peers and guys that I liked on a romantic level. Mm. So on surface, it was, oh, guys just want to be my friend. I am perpetually in the friend zone. Mm. Why don't guys see me romantically? Mm. Well, I didn't see myself that way. Mm. I thought it yeah. was bad and wrong and sinful. And so I didn't know how to connect any other way than aside being either the kid's sister or the best friend. And then the rare moments that I was in relationship, I i mean, I'm such a physical person. I love making out. So I uh-huh. would be making it's out, fun. but I would, <laughs> it's so fun, yeah. but I would never really feel fully connected to my body Mm. or fully embodied because I always felt, oh my gosh, at any moment, I have to be on guard to make sure that we don't go past the boundaries. Right. Um, So I think that's another way that that is another fruit. So a lot of shame, a lot of shutdown, never feeling like I could relax into any sort of situation. Yeah. And then I think another unintended consequence or fruit of that experience was because I was taught my body is bad, because I was taught my pleasure was bad, mm-hmm. uh, and definitely self-pleasure and masturbation, mm-hmm. I once I would get into dating situations, so I didn't date for seven, eight years, then I started dating a little bit, but it wasn't until I moved to New York almost a, a decade ago now mm-hmm. that I started dating more than I had ever dated in my whole life. Mm. And because I had no idea how my body worked, how pleasure worked, what were appropriate physical boundaries, uh-huh. like wh- what's the spectrum from <laughs> holding hands to like not I having know. sex, you know? Yeah. Like, is there more I can do than just like a little makeout at the end of the night if I'm choosing to abstain right. uh, until marriage? And I didn't know. And so I did not know how to give informed and enthusiastic consent. Mm. I didn't know my body. I didn't know pleasure. Mm-hmm. And so I would get in situations and say no mm-hmm. when I really wanted to say yes. Mm. And then I would say yes sometimes when I really wanted to say no. Mm. And I would say no sometimes, but my no wasn't really a no. Mm. It was like, oh, no, let's not do that. But uh-huh. me, really, my no was meaning if you ask me a couple more times, like, <laughs> I'm going to say yes. Right. And so I... And I think one thing that I'm so, so passionate about right now is giving young people and even people like us in our 30s mm-hmm. proper sex education. Yeah, I'm, absolutely. The only thing I was ever told is don't have sex. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, like the the scene from Mean Girls where he's like, don't have sex. Don't think about sex. Don't talk about, <laughs> yeah. talk about sex. You will get chlamydia and die. <laughs> like, yes, I love that oh, movie. Oh, man. <laughs> That's so good. Um, so, yeah, I think... Even now as a 36-year-old, for the first time, I'm trying to learn how to develop a muscle of consent Mm. of, hey, I don't like it when you kiss me like that. Mm -hmm. Or, hey, when you kiss me on my neck, it feels really nice. Mm. Like I just would get in these romantic scenarios few far in between and just be silent Mm. because I had no sort of tools or access to confronting my sexual desire or sitting with it or being able to say, here's what I want to happen physically on this date. Here's what I don't want to happen. Mm -hmm. It just all felt so embarrassing to think about Mm -hmm. 
and talk about. And so I would get in situations that were very uncomfortable. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I wanted to point out too, like I know for me, I went years between boyfriends and it was so easy to like hide that under spirituality. Like I'm just waiting on the one God has. And like in reality, it was fear and like stuff Mm -hmm. I needed to work through in therapy. (laughs) It was not waiting on God. So I think that's something we need to be aware of as like, you know, a lot. Yeah. Uh, Oh yeah. I've even seen recently, there's a couple, I'm not going to throw anyone specifically on blast here, but there's some single female, like pastor influencer girls out there that on their Instagram handles say, quote unquote, intentionally single. And I'm like, uh-huh. Intentionally single, my ass. <laughs> like, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. You might have to bleep that out. It's fine. But I'm like, that is a, and you know what? Maybe those women actually are like, I'm 100% content sure. in my singleness and right. I feel totally called to this. I think the cynic in me is like, that's really interesting spiritual language. Yeah to protect you from dealing with the disappointment that I'm mm-hmm. almost 40 or I'm 45 or me, Kat Harris, I'm 36 and I'm single right? and I want to have babies mm-hmm. and I want to get married. And that hasn't happened for me yet. And that makes me really sad. God, yeah. why are you doing it for everyone else and not for me? Yeah. So I think it's That's so powerful. easy yeah. to spiritually bypass our heart and what yeah. it looks like is like, well, I'm confident or I'm masking with, I'm masking my pain with arrogance or f- a false sense of confidence. Mm. And again, maybe those people really are like, I am happy as a clam. Right. But I'm like, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> probably going to always hold the tension yeah. of like, I love my life. I'm so grateful. God did not give me what I wanted when I wanted it. Mm. And I really want a relationship. Mm-hmm. I'm actively seeking a relationship. Yeah. I will be really sad if I don't get to have babies with my own body. Yeah. That will make me very, very sad. It will be something that will be one of the biggest heartbreaks of my life if that happens. Mm. So I don't think that we know how to hold the tension yeah. because what we're taught is, well, it happens when you least expect uh-huh. it. When you're not looking or like for when you're con- it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. When you're content in your relationship with Jesus then out of that overflow, God's going to give you that mm. thing you want. And yeah. it's like, really, what we're preaching is a subtle but very clear works-based salvation. Mm. I do this for God, and he does this for me. Yeah, yeah, as if he's a genie in a bottle. And it also, yeah. like, again, that dissociation, there's a huge amount of dissociation from ourselves and our hearts and our emotions mm-hmm. in a lot of the way we talk about singleness as a church. Yeah, So absolutely. Yeah. So my next question is, because w- one of the things I just loved about your book was you kind of, you started seeing this fruit in your life. You're like, something is not right here. And you're like, I, you started going through what you call a deconstruction and kind of figuring mm-hmm. out like, what does the Bible really say? Not just like, what have I grown up mm-hmm. thinking, but like taking into consideration the historical context, the cultural context, like what is the Bible telling me about sexuality? So what was mm-hmm. that aha moment for you that or maybe it wasn't even a moment. What led you to say, uh, maybe this isn't how I was meant to see sex? Well, I, like I said, I'd moved to New York City and what it was dating more than I had ever dated in my whole life. I dated more in one year than I had in a whole decade. <laughs> I, I was <laughs> dancing on tables, going out, making out <laughs> with guys at bars. I was online dating for the first time mm-hmm. ever. And I'm not saying that everything I did is gonna, was like, you know, the most healthy manifestation of like going out and dating. But 
my sense of rebellion was not like was like I'm gonna go make out with a guy. Like, <laughs> I totally relate you know? to that. Yeah, like it was like we used to call it like stay out till you make out, and that was our that. rebellious <laughs> Christian thing that we would do. You know, uh-huh. and so um, we, I was like kind of in that in that mind space, and I ended up meeting a guy through one of my best friends, and we just totally hit it off. And I was. I mean, head over heels for this guy. Mm-hmm. And I unpack a lot of our story in my book. But pretty much on our first date, I went home with him. Mm-hmm. And I had never done that before. Mm-hmm. And it was like exhilarating, but kind of scary. And, you know, there was definitely some alcohol liquid courage involved <laughs> in that experience. Um, my mom always said, like, nothing good happens after midnight. And now I'm like, mm. Yeah, I think I kind of agree with that. But (laughs) I ended up back at his apartment and we like fooled around most of the night. And I went home before the sun came out. And because I thought, okay, I can't sleep over at a guy's house because that's wrong. But if I leave before the sun technically comes (laughs) out, then I am all good. Mm. So in within a few hours, I had gone further physically with any guy than I had ever gone in my whole life. Mm, mm-hmm. And I remember taking a cab ride back to Brooklyn at 5 a.m. or whatever <laughs> that was and just felt like I thought I would feel more guilty than I do. Mm-hmm. Like I have in on the first date have blown past my physical boundaries and I don't feel guilty. Mm. And... And I really like this guy. Uh-huh. And so I felt really confused. Yeah. And I felt really shocked because I always prided myself on my physical boundaries mm. and really judged my other Christian friends <laughs> who would have sleepovers <laughs> with their boyfriends and end up having sex or oral mm. sex or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, it's not that I have been like holding on to this conviction of abstinence. It's honestly, I have never been in a situation where that that value has been challenged. Yeah, sure. And so this guy and I start dating. And, you know, on the first night, if you have everything but yeah. sex, it's like, <laughs> where, where do, do you go? go physically from there, <laughs> yeah. you know? And we hit a gridlock pretty soon into our relationship. And I basically was like, I'm not having sex until marriage, which I'm sure that's confusing to you because of what we did on the first <laughs> night. Right. <laughs> Gave you a very interesting perspective <laughs> on, you know, it's like, as long as this doesn't happen, we're good. Mm. So I I was still holding on to that value. I still hold that value today. Mm-hmm. And it was a deal break for him, for him not to have sex. Mm. And so we broke up and it was messy. And mm. I mean, so much of our relationship was so beautiful and healing and eye-opening. But really, it was in the wakes of that breakup where I realized I honestly don't even know why I'm saving sex for marriage anymore. Mm -hmm. Like my youth pastor told me, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) Christian culture told me to save sex for marriage, but I really have no sort of inside out internal conviction on this. Mm -hmm. It's just, well, this is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. This is what they tell me to do. And even though I was a Bible major, I couldn't have told you one verse in the Bible that said save sex until marriage. Mm -hmm. And so I needed to figure out what I believed. Yeah. 
And so I ended up going on a journey that I thought would be a one to two hour quiet time and a Google search (laughs) of what does the Bible say about sex? And it honestly has turned into a five, six, seven year Mm. research project Mm. (laughs) that is now a book. Which is awesome. And all my readers should check that out. Yeah, it's linked down below. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So, yeah, I think what happened for me is I I honestly was going to look at scripture and basically see if I could find a way to have sex outside of marriage and still be in alignment mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. with scripture. And then it was like the one question I had of what does the Bible say about sex just turned into a thousand other questions mm-hmm. like what is what is sexuality Mm -hmm. what is sex how are we defining sex is masturbation a sin what about gender roles Mm -hmm. do women really need to submit to their husbands Mm -hmm. where do we get this idea that men have a higher sex drive than women and so it just was one of those honestly what it makes me think of is when you are like oh i'm about done with my work day I just need to send one more email (laughs) and then the one email like gives you 50 more things to do. That was this journey for me. I was like, Oh, I just have this one little question. Um, excuse me, God, what does the Bible say about sex? Yeah. Yeah. I just need to know that. And then it was like seven years later. Here we are. (laughs) I love it. So uh, would you unpack this a little bit for us in a minute? I want to focus in on masturbation, but I also want to hear like, what do you believe about biblical sexuality as a whole? Since the Bible, there's no verse that explicitly says in those words, save sex for marriage. So how, how did you just come to understand this for sexuality, especially as a single person? What did your study lead you to believe was God's intent in this area? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's really hard because we're reading a text that is thousands and thousands of years old. Mm-hmm. And often we love to make the text about us. Mm-hmm. And the like Paul was writing to many different people mm-hmm. in the New Testament, but whether it was to the church of Ephesus or to a brand new group of Christians in Corinth in Corinth, mm-hmm. like and we really disregard what was happening culturally, what was the context. Like we're not really taught Bible study or hermeneutics 101. Right. And so I think there's that. And then on top of that, we're also dealing with a trans, like trans, a Bible and text that has been translated mm. so many times. Mm. We mm-hmm. are losing so many beautiful aspects of scripture because we don't know Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic. And whereas, Mm. I mean, I feel like the easy example is how I can say like, I love my husband. I love, I love my NARS lip gloss that's sitting on my (laughs) table. I love (laughs) chips and queso and I love my sister. Right. You know, whereas the Greek language, there's a phileo love, like brotherly love. There's agape love that like um, unconditional love. Mm. There's eros love, like the erotic love. Mm. Like there's so many different types of love. Same with the Hebrew language. So we're just missing so much when we look at the text. So yeah, there is not a verse that says don't have sex outside of marriage. There is absolutely no verse that says our sexuality is bad. Mm. And so a lot of what we have to do is like look at the whole picture of scripture Mm. and look at the character of God and look at the context and a few, I mean, there's a ton of verses that I could share, but I'll share two that were radically transformative for me. Mm. And one was reading through the Song of Solomon in the Old Testament, which I remember my freshman year of college, Tommy Nelson at Den Bible Church did this (laughs) song, Song of Solomon, big 
you know, Bible study series. And it was the first time I, you know, he's talking about like oral sex from the pulpit and <laughs> like, basically <"Whoa."> like, <laughs> like, what is happening? Uh-huh. But Song of Solomon is this Old Testament br- book of basically it's like the book, the Bible's foreplay yeah the guide to foreplay Uh and like passionate sex between king solomon and we think his wife Mm -hmm. we actually don't even know if they're married or not yeah um i mean we love to say it was his wife but we actually just don't know if they were married or not or if she was one of his like three billion concubines (laughs) right yeah um it's like we don't want to deal with that yeah um (laughs) let's push that under the rug (laughs) yeah yeah we're just not gonna talk about how we have three gazillion concubines we're gonna talk about song of solomon (laughs) but what was really powerful for me reading song of solomon is First of all, in that whole, you can't read the Song of Solomon without debunking the myth that sex is only for procreation. Yes. Thank you. Like, 100%. They're not talking about babies at yeah. all. They're talking like, about pleasure and it is celebrated. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, come to my garden yeah. and feast. <laughs> you know, she's like, literally go down on me. <laughs> you know, like yes. the... The whole book opens with her saying, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth because his love tastes better than wine. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that might not seem like a big deal, but in Hebrew, ancient Hebrew culture, for any sort of text to start with the female voice Mm. and a female, I never even thought of that. Wow. She, we have a woman, a young woman yeah. who is giving informed and enthusiastic consent wow. with confidence saying, this is what I want you to do to me sexually. Wow. That's powerful. <sighs> I never thought we of that live, before. Yeah. It's, it's powerful. And we live in a Christian culture today in 2021, an evangelical culture where we still have a narrative that says you know, sex is primarily about a guy getting his needs met. Mm. You know, every 72 hours, his semen rebuilds. And right. if you don't want him to be sexually frustrated or to get blue balls, <laughs> right. you need to do your wifely duty. Mm. That's not what the, that's not what the Bible says. Mm. The Song of Solomon is this mutual, reciprocal, pleasurable relationship mm. between this couple where they both know how to give informed and enthusiastic consent, where they both know what parts of their bodies give them pleasure, mm. and where their relationship is not a secret to the community. We have multiple times throughout the throughout the text where the community says like go be drunk on love like Mm. go enjoy each other you know everyone in town knows that this couple is a thing yeah it's no you know midnight 10 p.m hey you up or you know tinder swipe left where you can date someone for months and no one in your life knows about it Mm. there's something really powerful about this text and it felt liberating to me Mm. because I felt like, wow, not only is this young woman who there's power dynamics there. This is a king. Yeah. Yeah. If she didn't please him, he could kill her or make her into a sex slave or Mm. make her into a household servant. But this text starts off with her pleasure. Mm. And so that tells me that God is not ashamed of our bodies. Mm. God is not ashamed of sexual pleasure. That sex is about so much more than procreation, that it's about connection and intimacy, that it really is this 
physical manifestation of this mind, body, soul, spirit connection. Mm. And that it, that women and men equally Mm. have sex drive and equally get to experience pleasure in the bedroom. Mm. There's, there's nothing about it being this like one-sided experience for men so that they won't sin on their wives. Um, yeah. So that, that was like one of the texts that was like mind blowing. And even what's mind blowing about song of Solomon is in, in uh, Jewish culture for years and years and years, boys and girls couldn't even read Song of Solomon until they came of age. Wow, I didn't know that. Because Jewish teachers really understand, like, this is an erotic book. Yeah. Like, God is for pleasure. Mm. Like, God is God created all things. He didn't just create yes. our mind or our spirit, but he created us holistically. Mm. And there's even something about about our sexuality and our pleasure that reflects the God image in us. Mm. But this is so intense that maybe we should wait to teach this until, you know, until they're bat mitzvahs or bar mitzvahs or whatever. Um, So so yeah, that, that was really powerful for me. And then Genesis one, it's like right there in the very beginning of scripture, we see this rhythm of creation where God says God creates and it is so, and it is good. Mm. And God does this with everything in creation. And then God does something distinct with humanity. Mm. God pauses and everything else is good. But then with humans, God says, let us make humanity in our image and our likeness. The Hebrew term there is it almost the the picture is that humans are like mirror reflectors. Mm -hmm. Like you're taking like two mirrors and you're reflecting light like humans have the God spark, Mm. the God image within us. So God breathes the breath of life into humanity and then says it is very good. So everything else is good, but the humans are very good. And the humans within us have the God image. We are children of God. Mm-hmm. And so we love to make the God story start at chapter three when mm-hmm. all hell breaks loose. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, that's but yeah. the story started in chapter one. And so what's important to notice in the text, this is, again, hermeneutics 101 is what is the text saying and what is it not saying? Mm. So the text isn't saying that, well, my spirit is very good. Right. My theology is very good. Mm. My right hand is very good, but my left hand is crap. And oh my gosh, when guys get erections, that was Mm. the devil did that, you know, (laughs) or when fluids start happening, the devil did that. No, God said God created humanity mm. in God's image and likeness and called it very good. So that means that the my genitals are not the devil's doing. Mm. That when I when I physically get aroused, that that's not like a system malfunction. Yeah. That it was actually indeed all a part of God's plan. Mm. God's beautiful plan to have the physical always be an invitation to the spiritual. Mm. And so right there in Genesis one, it was like one of those texts that I had probably read a thousand times in Bible school, but I was like, wait a second, this is actually good news. Mm. This is the gospel. This is good news that like I, because I exist and breathe that like, 
I reflect the God image. Mm. So I'm actually not a piece of crap. Yeah. And then we let's let's look at the whole of scripture. The New Testament says that our bodies are a house for the holy. Like the Holy Spirit dwells within our bodies, within mm. us. Mm -hmm. God doesn't dwell in broken, bad, ugly, disgusting things. Mm. So on this journey, I, I mean, I learned a lot of things, but just in those two passages, I learned, okay, God created my sexuality. My sexuality and sexual desire is good and God yeah. designed. My body is good. There's even something in all of this that reflects the God image. And God did not create me compartmentally, but holistically. Yeah. So that means that my sexual desire and sexuality isn't just good for one day when, mm. and the text didn't say humans are very good and their sexuality is only good after marriage. <laughs> <laughs> no, right. like God said, our, we're very good. We're made in God's image. So that has to mean that regardless of relationship status, whether I am married or not, there mm. has to be multifaceted, nuanced, and layered ways that I can connect to myself, mm. to God and others, my sexuality and desire in a way that is God honoring mm. and in integrity with my values. Mm. I love that. So I know you said in your book, you came to the conclusion that you felt that it was honoring to God to save sex until marriage. So can you tell us, and then we'll get into masturbation after that. Can you tell us what led you to that conclusion? Oh my goodness. I know this well, probably a loaded a question. Series. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, honestly, the biggest reasons why I ended up continuing to choose to abstain until marriage to have sex didn't have a lot to do with the Bible. Hmm. But I'm mm -hmm. being honest. Are there scriptures in the New Testament that we can deduce an invitation to abstain from penetrative sex until marriage? Yes. Mm. There mm -hmm. are about 24 uses of this phrase, sexual immorality. And the Greek word there is porneia. And that is obviously where we get words like pornography. Yeah. And that is a sort of, a, if you use the word porneia in first century Greco-Roman culture, it, you could use it, it could mean anything from bestiality mm -hmm. to pedophilia, to prostitution, to yeah. adultery. It was this catch-all phrase for really any sort of sexual activity mm -hmm. outside of marriage. Yeah. And prominently, predominantly, it was used to refer to sexual activity that was I don't know what's the best word, like unjust, or there are power dynamics and mm -hmm. abuse taking place. Um, <clears throat> so that was the predominant reason mm. when when the when that was used. Mm -hmm. um, but I, we can kind of deduce from Hebrew Jewish culture, from Old to New Testament, that the precedence was sex inside of marriage. Mm -hmm. And so for me, what I did is I did. I just kind of looked at my, I said, okay, so scripture does, it at least has an invitation here. Sure. <laughs> you know, yeah. it at least has this invitation way to put or it. we can say like, I don't want to say, well, this is God's best. And mm -hmm. you know, we can at least say that the, the biblical precedence is most likely sex inside of marriage. Mm -hmm. And do I care what the Bible has to say? Mm -hmm. Well, I do care about what the Bible has to say. And I love Jesus and like that my faith really matters to me. Mm. But I think something that shifted for me was before it felt like sex was, or my virginity was enmeshed with my salvation. Mm. It was like, 
I don't know if this was just growing up in the South or growing up in purity culture or what. It was like the worst thing you could possibly do. Yeah. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. like, do you have sex outside of marriage and do you drink alcohol and smoke weed? You are definitely going to hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and not to mention like, are, do you identify as LGBTQ, LGBTQIA plus? Like, yeah, you know, and totally. so for me, I think part of it has been, has been learning to hold this tension of, yes, there is this biblical precedence and invitation to experience sex inside of marriage. Mm-hmm. And Mm. this has nothing to do with my salvation. Yeah. Like this actually isn't a salvation issue, Mm. but we make it that Mm. it's like, all right, it's salvation is not Jesus alone or solos Christos. Like the theologians say it's Jesus plus virginity. (laughs) It's Jesus. And yeah. And anything that we do to add or earn our way into the kingdom Mm. is anti-gospel. It's a workspace salvation. And so for me, it's been learning to hold this tension of I still have this conviction. Mm. And also, it's not who I am. Right. You know, Mm. like I feel like I made myself the morality police for everyone in my life who was having (laughs) sex. Right. And was like secretly judging if they had ever had a genuine experience with Jesus. Mm. And... I definitely can still lean toward legalism. Like I, can, I definitely have the like one plus one equals two. Uh-huh. But I'm like, actually, like Jesus cares so much more about our hearts. Yeah. Do I, do I, do we, do you have space for people to be human mm. and on a journey? Mm. Um, so I'm, I made the decision, yes, from scripture, but also I looked at my own relationships and mm. at the what the physical manifested in my own relationships. And I found often that mm. I, I led with the physical in my romantic relationships and I was viewing sex really one-dimensionally. Like, well, as long as the penis doesn't go into the vagina, right. then we're good. Yeah. I have, you know, <laughs> sign sealed delivered. Right. Whereas like it, if we're talking like ancient Hebrew culture and the biblical precedents, it was like they hadn't even all but had even a side hug yeah. <laughs> until they got married. Like yeah. everything was sex, you mm-hmm. know? And so I realized, wow, I'm also viewing sex from this really one dimensional hmm platform of um peggy orenstein in her book girls and sex says that so much so many of us view sex as a vertical race to a singular destination as opposed to a pool of experiences oh i love that so yeah i wasn't having penetrative sex but i was doing all the other things mm. and so mm-hmm. was i am i a virgin hmm. Am, like, am I like, what, wh- what is sex? And so mm. I realized for me that delaying the physical really helped me enter into dating with a clear head mm. and a clear yeah. mind of, okay, is sexual chemistry important? Yes. But who is this person? What is their integrity and what is their character? And, and can we together say no to something that's really, really amazing mm. and really good and really great for the sake of a greater vision down the, down, like mm. down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I did a ton of research on what happens neurologically in our brains when we orgasm mm. and researched anthropologists like Helen Fisher, who has great TED Talks out there. But one of her huge things is neurologically and scientifically speaking, there is actually no such thing as 
casual sex because the neurology and hormones of our brains just simply won't allow for it. Wow. Like we call it soul ties uh-huh. in Christianity. Right, right. It's like, well, you can't be physical with someone. You're going to create a soul tie. Uh-huh. But actually, when we experience orgasm and pleasure with another person, new neuropathways in our brains are created that bond us to that mm. human. Whether we're aware of that or not, it's actually happening. Like when we experience pleasure with another person, even if it's hugging our best friend, Mm. like there's an imprint in us Mm. from with people we experience intimacy with. Mm. And I realized, you know what, for me, I'm going to continue down this path, Mm. but no longer because I think that I have to do this to be saved Mm -hmm. or no longer because this is what some youth pastor told me to do, what to do. But because I think that there is a real beauty in withholding certain physical acts Mm -hmm. until there is like a long-term commitment. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I just think there really is no shortcut to intimacy. And I found with my own self, my breakups were infinitely harder. Mm. The more physical I was with someone, mm. like, man, I dated a guy off and on for four years in my 20s who was a tool. I mean, bad guy. <laughs> but I was like, oh, he's a Christian guy. He's this amazing, godly guy. He treated me terribly. He cheated on me all the time. Oh my gosh. But we, but he was a Christian. Right. And So have grace, <laughs> you know. And we had this insane physical chemistry. Mm. And I can look back now and say, man, if we had never even made out on that second date, I probably would have gone out with him one or two times and been like, oh, you're a jerk. We have nothing in common. Right. (laughs) But the physical really clouded my sense of discernment. So yeah, I, yeah, I could say more into that. And I don't know if you have specific questions to follow up with that or not. I think you also get into it more in your book too. Um, so I think, oh man, I'm so torn because I'm like, I want to talk about everything, but um, for the sake of time, well, let's, let's focus it on masturbation for just a few minutes okay. here. Okay. So this is the topic I am most often asked by my viewers because the interesting yeah. thing is like the Bible gives a lot of, well, maybe not a lot, but it does give some very clear guidance about sexuality. Like don't sleep with your, your parent and don't have mm-hmm. an adulterous affair and all that, but there's no clear boundary around masturbation. Mm-hmm. And I know you spent two chapters in your book talking about this and I absolutely yeah. loved your nuanced approach. And I was just wondering if you could kind of give us a synopsis of what you believe about masturbation as a single person and why. Yeah. I know that's a huge question. Yeah. Well, and I'll just say as a human, mm. let's just say like married or single. As, awesome. Uh, yeah. Let's just talk about self-pleasure. And I will say that, you know, this is a really long conversation and Mm. there's a lot to say on this. There's a lot of questions to ask. Mm. There's a lot of different angles to look at. And how I try to approach any topic is let's hold this thing as if it were a diamond Mm. and let's turn it and be curious about it. Look at it under different lights and not just if we just look at it from one angle. Well, that might be what the diamond looks like, but let's flip it over. Mm. So. I think a lot of Christians have gotten their panties in a wad about <laughs> my my masturbation chapters because I'm saying, hey, let's look at the other side of it. Yeah. 
And let's ask questions. Like, since when is asking questions evil? Mm -hmm. Like, asking a question doesn't mean I agree or disagree with it. It just means I'm asking the question. And I wonder what would happen if, as humans, as people of faith, we gave each other the permission to approach any topic with a posture of humility and a posture of curiosity. Mm. That's really what it's saying is like, all right, I was taught that this that masturbation is bad and sinful all the time by the church. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and I was also taught that only guys did it. Yes. <laughs> and as a young person, I masturbated all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I started, think I started masturbating when I was seven years old mm-hmm. from like going down the pole at recess and being like, oh my <laughs> gosh, something magical just happened. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and I wasn't, fantasizing. Mm-hmm. I wasn't watching pornography. I wasn't right. lusting. I just realized when something rubs between my legs at a certain pressure, it feels pretty amazing. Yes. Uh-huh. And so my whole thing about masturbation, and if you want to hear the whole thing that I have to say about it, you know, it's in the book, Sexist yeah. in the City. There's a whole chapter on it. I also have a whole series. I did a two-part series on my podcast. Oh, my goodness. Um, I will I link that you. in the description, too. Yes, that would be amazing. Yeah, so it's a two-episode. They're both, like, 45 minutes long. Amazing. So okay. basically, it's no surprise to probably anyone listening to this who grew up in the church that we view, we have viewed and been told that, like, masturbation and self-pleasure is wrong. Yeah. And so I'm not going to go into that, but what could it look like if self-pleasure could actually be God honoring Mm, and things that I think of in that are things like, well, the invitation of Jesus is to return to innocence Mm. and to be like little children again, Mm. right? Like Jesus Mm -hmm. loved being around children and it's like, you know, go back to that childlike wonder and awe in your life. Yeah. And what I go to is like, okay, so if it was possible for me as a young person to explore my body mm-hmm. and not sin mm-hmm. and it not be sexualized or fantasized or in connection with lust or what C.S. Lewis says, going to the harem within or connected to pornography. Like if, if I can, if I did that as a child, isn't it possible that as adults we could get back to innocence? Mm. Is it possible? Now, I also know there's so many layers in there. There's a lot of kids who have experienced abuse or especially young boys, but also young girls who were exposed to pornography and erotic magazines and novels from a very young age. And so their sexuality was activated prematurely. Mm -hmm. Like there's like so much nuance here. Mm -hmm. But all I'm saying is like, if it was, if it's possible for children to have that experience and I've pulled and done research and development on thousands of people Mm -hmm. and it's a very common experience it's a very normal experience for even toddlers to experience pleasure and Mm -hmm. that might be weird to think about but if that's possible and the invitation of Jesus is to go back to childlike awe and wonder I think that there has to be a possibility that we as adults can connect with our bodies Mm -hmm. remain embodied Mm -hmm. stay connected to God even and explore our bodies Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, the second thing that I challenge is like, is pleasure sinful? Yeah. Is self-pleasure sinful? Well, I'm sitting here in this desk chair and it makes my neck hurt. Mm. So when I rub my neck like this, ooh, it feels so good. Mm. I'm giving myself pleasure. Yeah. When I am eating a 
Well, I'm trying to think what I don't have anything good in my pantry right now, but let's just say I make this like really yummy, I don't know, chips and queso. Mm-hmm. And I have a really good margarita with it. And I've made that for myself and I am tasting the taste yeah. and I'm experiencing pleasure. Yeah. I'm giving myself pleasure. I'm mm-hmm. experiencing pleasure within my body and I am responsible for that. Yeah. It's not my boyfriend or husband's job Mm -hmm. to spoon feed me so I can experience that pleasure. Like there's something powerful about being in your own skin and giving yourself the permission to meet a need, Mm. whether it's, oh my gosh, like my neck hurts. Let me like rub my shoulders or I'm hungry. Let me like make this beautiful meal for myself and experience pleasure Mm. or putting on a beautiful song that evokes something in you that that makes you feel connected to God and yourself in a way that words can't describe. Yeah. So if it's possible to experience all of this pleasure through our other senses, Mm. is it at all possible that we could experience pleasure in the area of our genitals Mm. and it not be bad? Right. Like could, could something about knowing my own body and accepting my own sexual desire be a way that I could later then give informed and enthusiastic consent mm. so that I don't get in unsafe or problematic situations? Yeah. Is it possible that if I accept my own pleasure and desire as good and beautiful and God-given, that one day when I am in a relationship or marriage, I'm able to see my spouse's sexual desire and view it as beautiful, good, and God-honoring? Mm. Because scripture says to love your neighbor as yourself. And really what it's saying there is to love others as much as you love yourself. Mm. Well, I can't give what I don't have. Mm. So if I think that my body is a piece of crap Mm -hmm. and that my pleasure is disgusting Mm. (laughs) and that my genitals are gross Mm -hmm. and the fluids are gross and don't look at it, it's so embarrassing, Mm. then it is a lie to think that when we get married, we will be able to instantly accept our bodies and accept our yeah. our spouse's sexual desire as beautiful if our entire lives we've believed that it's disgusting and gross yeah. and sinful. So I think there's a part of like in order to give love to someone else, I first have to give it to myself. Mm. Um, and these might seem like really like off the wall, like, okay, Kat, you're really reaching. You're really reaching. It might seem like that to someone who's listening. And to that, I would just say, like, be curious. Mm-hmm. Just let yourself ask the questions. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, it, I, I say in my book, like, is masturbation a sin? I say, yes, no, maybe. Mm-hmm. I think there are times when I have experienced pleasure and it has connected me to myself. It's connected me to God. Mm-hmm. It's felt really beautiful and sacred and holistic. There's other times, just like when... I watch 10 episodes of you on Netflix or (laughs) I'm like scrolling on TikTok for three hours where if I am, if I am practicing self-pleasure where it can be a numbing out thing Mm -hmm. where, and so that would say like, that's actually not good. What am I not wanting to deal with right now? You know, if I, if I'm, I trying to avoid a conflict, am I not wanting to feel lonely? Mm. Am I scared? Is this the way I'm self-soothing? Mm. Um, I think all of it is like, be curious about your desire. Mm-hmm. Be curious about what it is that you're looking for. Are you feeling turned on because you just watched 50 shades of gray or porn <laughs> on the TV yeah. or that show sex life on Netflix? Mm. Are you feeling turned on because you know what? I'm 36 years old. I, it's Tuesday afternoon and I'm just feeling aroused. Mm -hmm. Like, 
it's it's really what I am really challenging is let's not pretend that life and humans and the human experience is a flattened one dimensional experience. Mm. Let's be curious. Let's be humble. Let's be willing to ask hard questions yeah. and dialogue with about dialogue about it with each other mm. without judgment. Mm, I love that. Oh my goodness. This has been amazing. I feel like I could talk to you for hours, but I'm just going to link <laughs> below Kat's book and those two podcast episodes. And I would really encourage you guys to check them out, like to really be willing to dive into this. And Kat, just thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Um, I have loved this. And you can also follow her on Instagram at The Refined Woman. So I'll see you all next week for another episode about growing the good Christian girl. Thank you again.